the Lord. Pastor Bird. Thanks, Tim. Well, good evening again. I hope you have your Bibles open up at that passage that Tim just read. It's a wonderful passage. It gives much guidance to us as a church, even as we've said already. We're going to pick up our study in this chapter. It's Titus chapter 2. And you'll recall that the last time we had opportunity to study it together, we looked at God's design for women in the church, specifically older women, that this passage speaks directly to. Recall with me, if you would, that at the beginning of Titus chapter 2, Paul gives Titus a contrast. He tries to establish this contrast between what Titus should teach and oversee be taught and what was actually being taught in increasing measure within the Cretan church by those who professed to know God but denied him by their works. These were people that were teaching things that they ought not to have taught. And as a result, whole families were being torn apart. Far from teaching sound doctrine and what accorded with sound doctrine, they taught a mixture of legalism and licentiousness. They would teach that you had to follow extra rules or do whatever you wanted and yet still get away with calling yourself a Christian. That is not the case. As part of that contrast that Titus was told to maintain with these false teachers, Paul told him to teach Not just sound doctrine, not just what was true, but what accords with sound doctrine. We said in the past that what that meant was that Titus and those he would appoint to the office of elder were to be involved in teaching people how they ought to live in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't really sound like it would be very popular, does it? You stand up week after week, you meet people in their homes, you talk to people on the street, and you say, thus saith the Lord, you're heading in the wrong direction. He wants you to live differently. I can think of a better way to make friends, can you? Nevertheless, the Lord's servant is to uphold the word of God, and that is what Paul reminds Titus of. Titus was to instruct the Cretan church in how its membership should live in order to demonstrate the transforming glory of Jesus Christ and his gospel. When we meet Jesus Christ along the road of life, our lives should change. Titus was to remind the people who profess to know him that indeed change should be coming on their lives. You may recall from the last time, one of the last times that we got together, that we looked at six marks of a godly man. That was what uh, was... Uh, the instruction that was given to older men. And we saw most recently that those six marks of a godly man transferred to the instruction that women were given. Those were things, aspects of Christian maturity that should also be evident in the lives of older women if they would function properly in the church of Jesus Christ. We'll continue to look at that passage again tonight And we'll gain more insight into the function of older women in the church. By extension, we'll gain insight into how the younger women in the church should function as well. So there's a lot of direction given in this passage. But it's direction that's intended to help the church of Jesus Christ function in such a way as to put on display God's transforming glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? There's an underlying reason why we're called to this holy living, which is to make our God look gloriously good. Hopefully you can imagine, based on what we know of Crete so far, 
how much of a bright light the Cretan church would be if it would just adopt what Titus was called to teach. In a culture known for people that were known to be always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, it shouldn't be too difficult to imagine what a godly group of people would be able to demonstrate as they came together and witness for the glory of Jesus Christ. The same is true for us today. That is our mandate to put on display God's glory in our holy living. Of course, we can only shine as brightly as the Lord would have us if, and only if, we are willing to take his word and submit ourselves to it. As sinful people, even those with new hearts, those who love the Lord, those who want to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, as sinful people still in progress, we find ourselves bristling at times under the call that we have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and what he tells us in his word. We can think of examples, can't we? The young man recoils at the thought of being told he cannot have sexual relations with his girlfriend. The unmarried couple living together bristles at the reality that God doesn't want them to live together unless they're married. The Christian employer refuses to treat his employees fairly while his Christian employees refuse to work hard as unto the Lord for what little they do get. There's all kinds of disorder as we are being grown and we bristle at the reality that God wants us to live differently from how we might be living. The desires rooted in our own self-worship run deep and they often move us away from displaying God's glory rather than toward it. And we recognize that we operate, we live as Christians, very aware, albeit inconsistently at times, but very aware that this is God's universe. He sets the rules and he insists that submission to his will is better than submission to our own. He insists that submission to his ways is far better for us than we can imagine as he brings ultimate glory to himself. The scripture declares it, doesn't it? Is, God, is not God perfect? Well, Second Samuel twenty-two thirty-one says, this God, his way, what he says, what he has designed, is perfect. So we should recognize that it follows that everything that he commands is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, says Psalm 19, verse 7. Should we not agree that God's ways are better than our ways and submit to following them as we await the blessing that comes from obedience? The obvious answer for us as believers is yes, of course, that is true. But we often forget the words from which we can learn much, that Moses spoke to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I, Moses, am commanding you today. Why? For your good. The commandments of God to God's people are given not just for his glory, but for our good. We forget that good that is promised to us. And we so often wander from obedience to the Lord. We bristle against it, as we've said. We forget that he means it for our good. That's obviously second to the fact that we want to obey him to bring him glory. Jesus says, 
Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we've got two things in play, one more significant than the other. God's glory through our obedience and the good that comes to us as we seek to obey him. And yet, we struggle, don't we? The text we're going to study tonight is, in one sense, a hard text for many people, even inside the church, to embrace because of what it teaches, even if obedience to it would lead to God's blessing. We do come to our text, and we ought to acknowledge this with every text that we come to in the Bible, but we come to a text like this with particular biases based on how we were brought up, based on influences that have been speaking into our lives based on our own preferences and aspirations. We come to a text like this with the world's ideas that bombard the church daily to say that the world's way is better than God's way. So we have to guard against all of these presuppositions, these mindsets that we bring into the study of a text like this because there's no doubt about it, this text is controversial. Many of you who have tried to open up this text to people and have had possibly vitriolic responses to it because of what it teaches about women and how they ought to function in the church. I think it's particularly important for us to consider the counsel of the Lord and the blessing that comes from following it, especially when it comes to this incredibly important, God-ordained, Christ-exalting, life-giving role that women are intended to function within the church. This is a wonderful text if we would but apply it to our lives. Nevertheless, we realize that we do live in an age where it's not popular to tell people how to live. You have no right to tell me how to live is a common refrain. So with all that in mind, having laid that foundation, so to speak, I want us to just walk through this text. My goal is simple as we look at this text in Titus chapter 2. I want us to understand and embrace as a church the ministry of godly women within the church of Jesus Christ. This is what I've called Otherworldly Women Part 2, which I hope will provide a lot of clarity for us. I want us to be sensible as we apply this text uh, in, in, in our midst. And I want us to see the vital role that women have in response to the grace that he has shown. I want us to see, firstly, the method that older women should use as they minister to younger women. I want to see some of the matters that they should be willing to address as they endeavor to follow that method. And I want to see the underlying motivation of why they should minister as they do. So the method, the matters, and the ministry, or sorry, the motivation for ministry are the three headings that we'll look at as we walk through this text. I want to acknowledge that I can't say everything that I'd like to about this text. There are more questions and answers as we go into this. And I'm expecting the type of question that says, yes, but what if? And we'll touch on that. I understand the objections that come from a text like this, even passionate objections, and they arise for various reasons, as we've said. But I do want this text to stand. I want us to read it plainly. I want us to obey it plainly and wait for the Lord to bring blessing to our church as a result. So the Word of God says in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, older women likewise... Again, pointing back to the uh, discipline and godliness of older men. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that or so that the word of God may not be reviled. And so we saw last time in verse number three that the Lord intends older women in the church to function in such a way as to teach what is good. They are to teach what is good. And this is good in the morally upright, the good, the beneficial kind of perspective in, com- in contrast with that which is evil. We saw last time about the life transformation that ought to come upon an older woman as the gospel of Jesus Christ is applied to her. Slander and drunkenness and all of those other life-dominating sins, be they attitudes and actions, need to be put off. She has to become a spiritual servant so that she is to teach what is good. Having been taught to put off the evils of slander and drunkenness and the ungodly attitudes that underlie those things, these older women are to teach in such a way as to please God and bring overall benefit to the church. We see that their teaching ministry is all about training the young women in certain things. So this is where I'll touch on the method that she is to walk out. What would her ministry look like in the local church? What's the method of her teaching? And what manner are they to train the young women that they minister to? With the verb train in Titus 2 verse 3 indicates that older women are to come alongside and as one dictionary says, instruct in prudence or behavior that is becoming and shows good judgment. So these older women are to come alongside and basically train the young women in what is becoming of a young Christian woman. It's reasonable to expect, based on the teaching of the New Testament and the the example of Jesus Christ himself, that this would involve a coming alongside, a walking and talking along the way so as to impart the better way to do things. That's how Jesus taught, isn't it? He would sit down with his disciples, he would walk along the way, he would involve himself in their lives and set the example for all of his disciples to follow. It's reasonable to expect that older women in a church would do the same in following that pattern. Those who are older are to encourage, advise, and urge those in a generally much busier period of life that might make a young woman want to run away from her house, her husband, and the hectic combination of three things, kids crying and crumbs. Tell me that that's not reality, whether you have small children or teenagers. That is real life for some younger women. The expectation here is life-on-life ministry. Older women walking with younger women through the challenges of life to foster character and conduct, becoming of a Christian woman who loves Jesus in attitude and action. We probably shouldn't expect that to happen in a 12-week, easy-to-follow, just-do-a-couple-of-homework-assignments type curriculum. This, instead, is... Busyness of life, mess on the kitchen floor, my life is falling apart around me kind of ministry. Please help. This is training that occurs in the midst of messy diapers and arguments with husbands and kids that won't obey, various other struggles that women might face. I praise the Lord, we ought to praise the Lord that these things happen, ministry happens in these contexts. That's the wrong quote, guys. It is here in the midst of this mess that older women come alongside the younger to put on display that sober-minded and dignified character that she has learned herself through the various trials that she's faced. 
She's able to come alongside the younger woman and show this attitude of the Lord has this all in his hands and we can trust him. Look at what I've learned that you need to learn too. That's the kind of demeanor that this older woman can demonstrate to the frazzled young woman to encourage her that she can actually learn to respond in a different way. Of course, there's going to be instruction from the scriptures. It is appropriate for older women to teach younger women what the Bible says. How else would we learn what God's will for our lives is? We get it from the word of God, the Bible. But there's a lot of life-on-life ministry. There's a lot of encouragement that happens verbally amidst all of that study that takes place. This must be a part of a younger woman's life if she is to grow up into a woman, an older woman who loves the Lord. So that's the method of her teaching. What specific things should she be teaching the younger women in the church? What matters should, be, should she be willing to address in the midst of applying that method? We're going to walk through our text. There's a number of different things. They boil down to this. Older women must teach what is good and so train the young women to love their own husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. So we're going to take each one of those things briefly in turn. Firstly, older women are expected to love their own husbands. And this aspect of this discipleship really points to the great blessing that this younger woman is involved in. This really highlights the wonderful aspect of God's good design, which is that of marriage. It is God's design as he is pleased to move a man and a woman together to knit them together for life such that they would seek to grow up in godliness together, worship him, him, and him alone. But they're bound together, maturing together in that sacred bond that the Bible calls marriage. And perhaps the best New Testament passage that we look to when we're analyzing what that should look like is in Ephesians chapter 5. That's where Paul shows the submission of both husband and wife to Christ and the Christ-like love of a husband for his wife in the midst of respectful submission of that wife to her husband to picture the wonderful relationship of the authority of Christ as head over the church and the submission of church to her head, Jesus Christ. That's the big picture that marriage is intended to communicate. In this way, both husband and wife put Christ's love for his church and the church's faithful devotion to Christ on display. That's obviously the ideal. That's what we're shooting for. Apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we husbands are often self-centered and struggle to love our wives in the way that Christ describes in Ephesians chapter 5. Whereas we are called in that particular passage to protect our wives, promote their holiness, to provide for her needs, even needs that she doesn't see that she needs yet. We're to put her in primacy of place just below the Lord Jesus. We many times make ourselves the center of the known universe and we neglect the love of our wives for the love of ourselves. It's in the, in the midst of all of that that younger women are to be trained by the older women to love their own husbands. And you'll note that it's not their friend's husband, it's not the husband in her favorite TV show or romance novel. I don't say that to be funny, but these are ways that women can escape, are they not? It's the love of their own husbands that they need to be exhorted to. 
This is a key aspect of a young woman's life that really does impact every other thing in this list. The young married woman's highest degree of, her, of devotion belongs to her husband, second only to Jesus Christ. And husbands don't often make it easy to love him in that way. This is something an older woman must help her younger students see if the church of Jesus Christ is going to mature in godliness. Especially in a world, in a time where so much confusion abounds between what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how to live properly one with the other. We need to have this kind of discipleship going on in the church if the witness of God's glory is to be put on display. So it obviously becomes older women to be developing this maturity themselves. We already touched on that last time. But the older women must have learned to love their own husbands well if they're going to be of any use to, love, to help the younger women love their own husbands. These women will know what it looks like to navigate loving a man who is ornery and hard to love at times. And she's going to be able to bring the wisdom of God into that situation to encourage that woman to hold on be faithful to her husband in the midst of how much of a terror he might be. That mature married woman or widow brings much to the table here, but I want us to be careful not to neglect the ministry of the singles in our church. There are some very, very wise single women in our church who have been around the block, if I can use that term. They know how to live the Christian life, and they're well-versed in godly wisdom to be able to speak the truth of God's word into the lives of many of our younger women. Let's not neglect that as a rich resource in our church when we're learning what younger women should do. We see from the text tonight, just a little further along, that older women should train younger women to not only love their own husbands, but their children as well. And it, it's really no secret, it should be no secret, that adding children to a relationship adds complexity to it. We never want to talk about children to be burdensome. But I think we do a disservice to young couples who are adjusting to marriage and having children if we don't at least acknowledge the fact that things are going to get tough now because you're learning to love one another and now you're learning to love these children while all of these priorities are pulled apart in every which way. Suddenly, this younger woman's priorities are split. Not only is she having to battle her own self-centeredness as a follower of Christ, but she now has to devote time and the very little energy that she has, perhaps with newborns, to also nourish and cherish the children that she has. Many of you still know, I know my wife does, I know there's other young mothers in the, in the church, that this is a reality. You have very little sleep, spit up on the shirt that you've been wearing for a week and no time to shower. All of these complicating factors in the midst of learning to love your husbands, raising your children. Children can be hard to love at times, can't they? If you can believe it, they're harder to love than the husbands. They want everything. Right now, they yell and scream when you don't give it to them. Even when they do get what they want, they refuse to give thanks and they want more anyway. Children are hard to love. Nevertheless, this text says that young mothers are called to love their children. When the temptation for a younger woman to covet another younger woman's apparent carefree life begins to bubble out of her heart into the surface, 
the godly older women in a church need to be willing to come alongside and say, my dear sister, press on in the race that you have been called to run. They need to be encouraged to hold fast to their husbands and love their children. When the temptation to resent her children begins to take root because of perhaps unfulfilled desire in her heart, she needs an older woman who knows something of God's good plan to come alongside and say, my dear, let me show you what loving the Lord looks like and how that looks to demonstrate a love for your husband and come alongside your children for the blessing of your home. Now, perhaps as a young married woman, you've struggled with not having things that you've seen others have. Perhaps you begin to doubt the Lord's goodness for your life. May God give you an older woman to come alongside and encourage you along the way. And may you older women, if I can address you on this point, come alongside with comfort and encouragement with your knowledge of God's wisdom and your experience of his goodness so that these younger women would not fall away in their discouragement. We see next in verse number three, the call for older women to train younger women to be self-controlled. Again, it's reasonable to expect that the older women are growing in this aspect of godliness. But it's what we said last time. The older women have to come alongside the younger women and teach them about, the, about being intent on the what, the how, and the when of doing what should be done. Think of all of the priorities that a younger woman has. In an ideal world, she would just have her husband to love and her children to love. That's not to mention medical appointments and shopping trips and all of these other things. She needs help in understanding God's will for her life to be familiar with the intent on the what, the how, and the when of doing the things that should be done. All the women are invaluable to help with this aspect of growth. The next point is purity. According to our text, purity is something else that young women in the church must be growing in. They must be learning that from the older women. Older women are to be teaching this aspect of godliness to the younger women. It's a word that corresponds to innocence. It's a word that corresponds to personal holiness. Paul uses the word when he writes the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. And he's communicating the divine jealousy he has for them as his beloved people people into whom he's poured his heart and soul. And he says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Here in verse 5 of Titus chapter 2, it speaks of unadulterated commitment, pure commitment, commitment that is undiluted with anything that would cause her heart to sway from the Lord Jesus Christ first and her husband and children second. Peter actually exhorts wives toward respectful and pure conduct as he is giving that beautiful display of what true beauty looks like. I remind you that that is based in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let us not be enamored with the world's standard of beauty, which contradicts God's standard. He is more interested in purity and respect and the hidden person of the heart, which is gentle and has a quiet spirit. That is true beauty. Let's not be enamored with the world's fleshly, deceptive, photoshopped standard of beauty and let that choke out what the Lord says is good. Rather, older women are to teach younger women, among other things, to be pure. 
Older women are to train the younger women to be pure, even as they remember themselves. The solid gospel foundation that makes that possible. Later on in Titus chapter 2, we read that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did what? Gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession. So God's people are to be holy, they're to be pure. These younger women are to be pure, and it's possible because of that gospel foundation that we stand on. Jesus Christ died to make it possible. It's not only proper for a woman to be pure, but it's also possible, so we ought to be pursuing it. That's a hopeful word, and I'll say this just in passing, because I want us to be upfront and honest about the struggles that we might face as older women come alongside younger women, there is the possibility in today's world that pornography could be an issue. Sexual sin exists just as much as in women as in men. That's addressed directly as we talk about purity in women. We ought not to shrink back from the reality that women are struggling with those sins. What else should a godly older woman in the church be ready to teach her younger sisters in the Lord? But next in our text in Titus chapter 2, we see that they are to be working at home. They are to be women who love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. And I'm going to assume that of all of the directions in our text tonight, this might be the most otherworldly. There is much promotion in the world today that would encourage every woman everywhere to be all they can be, no matter what the cost to their families. There is a line of messaging in the world that takes this feminist ideal to the extreme that actually endangers the society by rejecting God's good design for the family where God has said that women are to devote themselves to Jesus Christ, their husbands, and their children. And the text that we're studying tonight directly opposes the idea, the worldly view, that a woman who belongs to Jesus Christ is free to pursue whatever career she wants, whatever lifestyle she wants, to the neglect of her marriage and her children. Paul tells Titus that older women must train the young women to be working at home. They ought to be busy at home. Here I would draw your attention to the beautiful design that is woven throughout the scriptures of a woman whose heart is devoted to obedience to God, who delights in Jesus Christ, her husband, and her children. An ancient example of such a woman appears for us in Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31. And there we see a woman who is godly. Every man alive should want this woman for his wife. She is devoted to her husband. He trusts her. There's this wonderful mutuality in their relationship. She is industrious. She is caring well for her household as the helper fit for her husband that God intended her to be all the way back before the fall in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The children are well cared for as according to Proverbs 31:27 and 29, she looks well to the ways of her household. 
She does not eat the bread of idleness. There she is working hard. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. What does this godly man say to his godly wife? Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. This is a picture of a godly woman known to be busy at home according to God's design. Now, hold that up as a contrast to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 13. This could equally, not just at Ephesus, but at Crete, it could be the case. He describes women there who learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So at Ephesus, where Timothy was ministering, where Paul wrote to him, there were younger widows that Paul said should marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The lack of structure in the home, the damage that that was doing to families, moved Paul to write to women in the church, both at Ephesus and Crete, to order their lives according to God's good design, which I would add is possible because Jesus died to set us free from the penalty and power of sin. And he insisted that younger women be found managing their households well, working in the home. This is where that, that big, yes, but what if kind of question often comes up. This is where the major objections to the word of God comes up. We have to be pastorally sensitive. We have to be sensible. We have to be gracious and patient. What if she has to get a second job to provide a second income? What if she got saved on the way up the corporate ladder? Here's obviously where the the pastoral wisdom comes in, the patience and the grace. This is where we need to talk with our Bibles open, and we need to pray through Bible passages, and we need to come aside and listen and understand people's specific situations. But what's written in Titus chapter 2, verse number 5, must stand. Should we not agree that if my life is found to be outside of God's will in any particular area, I need to be concerned with what I need to do with God's help to bring my will, my life, into conformity with what God desires for me? You would all say, yes, that is absolutely appropriate. Well, we just apply that same principle to this text in Titus chapter 2 as much as in any other. This is a hard thing. This is a hard thing to accept. This goes against the grain of much of what we might even believe as Christians because of the impact of the world, because of our different upbringings. So here's a good place to share some excellent insight into what uh, commentator Walter Leefield says on this issue because he recognizes the the valid pastoral concern of the non-idyllic situation that many women, many men in the church find themselves to be, especially those who were saved later in life. He says this, young women are often turned off by the repeated criticisms of older women because they go to work. Remember that we're saying this all in connection with older women ministering to younger women. So because they go to work, they have their children in daycare and share decision-making with their husbands. They may already feel sad and even guilty for having to work and letting others care for their children. They need understanding and encouragement rather than criticism. Older women may have little concept of how much a mortgage, food, and taxes take out of even two regular paychecks. 
And if mother or grandmother thinks that daughter Michelle's payments on two cars and a large screen TV are unwise or unnecessary, perhaps more prayer and loving help in learning about caring for a family will bring Michelle to new spiritual perspectives and values. I think that is right on. That's good counsel. May we be found ministering with that same balance, that gracious perspective, so as not to discourage but encourage the younger women in our midst whose lives are full of things that still need to change. The next lesson in this ladies' curriculum for godly living, we'll call it, is to be kind. She is to be found being kind. Older women are to teach these younger women to be kind. Like most things... This seems to be better caught than taught. The godly older woman with a heart set on loving Jesus Christ, who knows something of the abundant kindness that he has shown to her, is able to pour that kindness naturally into a life of a younger woman that she is walking with. We see it happen in this church all of the time. We know that familiar passage in Ephesians that often sets us straight. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's a clear direction in God's word for us to be kind. God's will for younger women, even in the midst of loving her imperfect husband, even in the midst of her irritating children, amidst the messy busyness of keeping her home ordered according to God's perspective, is to be kind. That there is fitting of a servant of Christ who has been given the privilege of representing him in her home. There's one last area of instruction that older women are expected to give training in when it comes to their ministry and the lives of younger women. Young women must learn to become submissive to their own husbands. And if the idea of young women prioritizing their home was offensive, this idea probably isn't much better in the world in which we live. It's not much more appealing. And I do want to be sensitive because when we talk about the ideals of submission in church circles we do well to recognize that the idea of submission, this biblical ideal, is often sinfully abused. The people that we're called to submit to can at times make it very difficult. Parents, teachers, husbands, employers, governments, even pastors can make it difficult at times for us to submit to their God-given authority. We already acknowledged that back in Ephesians chapter 5 when we talked about husbands love or uh, wives' Uh, loving their husbands, that this is all done in submission to Jesus Christ. We ought to keep that in mind. The submission of a wife to her husband is to be modeled after the submission of Christ to her church. And there's, uh, to his church, sorry. There's clear direction in Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We do well to keep that connected in context with Colossians 3.19, immediately following, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And, And we should recognize that it is possible for a household to be made up of a loving husband who is leading to the best of his ability by God's grace, but his young wife is not submitting as she should. It's a text like this in Titus chapter 2 that bears directly on that situation. Sometimes a young woman starts to drift away from God's will for her life and she begins to neglect God's good design for marriage. She gets into trouble. But here's where the older godly women come along 
who have possibly struggled at times in their own younger days with husbands that have been less than ideal to live with at times. And she has learned to submit to her husband and as much to say to the younger woman who is now struggling with the same. Having struggled in the same ways herself, this older woman has much to say to her younger sister, and so she should say it. It should be very evident from Titus chapter 2 that women have been given a wonderful teaching ministry. They're to come alongside the younger women at their training. They're to provide instruction in how to live differently based on what the Lord Jesus has done in setting us free from not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin that would cause us to walk more in line with his will for our lives. Given that ministry that we're seeing is given to older women in the church, let me ask you younger women. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you're still single. Maybe you're newly married. Do you have older women in your lives that are speaking God's truth even when you might not want to hear it? Because the Word of God says that you need this ministry that you might grow up into maturity. I have one more heading to give you as we wrap up tonight. We've seen the method that an older woman is to take as she brings certain matters to light and trains these younger women in the way that they should go. Let's look briefly at her motivation. That's at the end of chapter, or verse number 5 in chapter 2. The older women must minister and the younger women should embrace their godly counsel for the sake of the gospel. Let's read the whole passage and get... Paul's train of thought. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that or so that the word of God may not be reviled. That last phrase reveals why this is all so important. Remember the context in which Paul is writing to Titus. The Cretan church was plagued by individuals who were teaching false doctrine such that families were not being brought together but being divided. The witness of the church had been compromised because of ungodliness in response to the false teaching that people were receiving. All manner of sinfulness was associated with the doctrine and practice of those who were leading people astray. Those people professed to know God but denied Him by their works. What kind of a reputation do you think was given or held regarding the Word of God, even the reputation of God Himself, when people in the church were living such disordered lives? What do you think the world would see if everyone was doing what they wanted in response to this false teaching? seeing so much sin in the church, what happened to the witness of the church on Crete? In order for the witness of the church on Crete to remain vibrant, in order for the claims of God's word to transform a people for God's own possession to remain credible, young women in the church needed to strive toward godly living as they learned such from the godly older women in the church. Those who had already learned these things and were seeking to be Uh, Models of godliness devoted to Jesus Christ. Older, otherworldly women are called to train younger, otherworldly women as part of 
regular discipleship in the church. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled. That is, our goal should be to live and to teach and insist on personal holiness in those that we love in response to the gospel so that the world has no ground to speak evil of the word of God or the God of the word. Now that's a high calling, isn't it? We ought to let that high calling be our motivation as we make immature disciples. We want to keep God's glory, His saving grace, and what change it can bring about on full display. Not only for our own good, as we said before, but so that He gets the praise because of, his, because of those in His church. It is proper for us to seek change. It is proper for us to admonish those who are not living in accord with God's will. But because of the gospel, it's also possible. So let's be involved in that. May we be found making and maturing disciples according to the model we've seen tonight, with the right method, seeking to address the right things, the right matters, all with the motivation to please the Lord, so that the word of God, the God of the word, may not be reviled. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this direction that we've received tonight. We're so thankful that you've told us so clearly that your glory is to be put on display in your church. We don't want to be found conducting ourselves in a way that causes the word of God or you, the God of the word, to be reviled. So Lord, help us to apply these things to our lives. What a wonderful ministry older women have to the younger women in the church. We're so thankful for your good design and how you've called us back toward obeying it, living in light of what it is. You've made that possible because Jesus came into the world to save sinners such as us. You have freed us, Lord, from the penalty of sin and the power that would otherwise keep us from obeying these things. Help us to have minds that are not conformed to this world, but renewed so that we're transformed, eager to offer our lives as living sacrifices, that you would be glorified through your church, And you'll be praised because of the transformation that comes on our lives. Lord, these are hard things for many people to accept. There are real challenges. Pastoral wisdom is required. Help us to come alongside people who want help but are struggling in the way that they want to order their lives in accordance with your will. Cause us to be a church that's full of grace and truth, Lord. We want to be transformed. We want to be motivated by your glory. We want to be sensitive to ways in which people are struggling because of you perhaps saving them in uh, various different stations of life. We allow you, uh, we, we are thankful that you've allowed us to uh, minister to people in this way. Cause us to do this faithfully and be glorified by the results. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.